the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Good morning, Tyson. We were all talking before we got on the call about how tired we are. So I'm trying to add a little pep, a little vim, and a little vigor. I I noticed. I was like, what happened to his voice? He's acting all energetic now. What's going on here? Let's do this. Let's rock it. We're recording on Thursday, May 7th. It's a great day in St. Louis. It's beautiful outside. One of my best buddies is turning 50 today. I stopped by Walgreens on the way in. He got a bunch of Mother's Day cards, birthday cards. The Nornator will turn 11 tomorrow. So I am excited to be here with you. You know what? I need to go out and get a Mother's Day card. I'm glad you said something. So I, I'm going to do that. Well, this is going to come out after Mother's Day. So sure. if you're listening to this and you didn't get a card, you're in deep trouble. Yeah, maybe we should tell people to go ahead and get their Father's Day cards lined up for you. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, go ahead and get it planned. Well, speaking of fathers, we have our very own Dustin Koontz. Dustin's with us all the way from Lansing, Michigan. He's a criminal defense lawyer. He's a great member of Maximum Lawyer. We've loved getting to know him and having him in the group. So, Dustin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Good. Tyson? I'm doing great. I'm excited for this episode. Me too. I'm really honored to be here. I'll get the, the feely stuff out of the way. This podcast, this group, that's meant so much to me just in convincing me to start my own practice and then just in building it over the last couple of years. Today is actually the, my two-year anniversary of hanging my shingle. So, and I wouldn't have done it without you guys. So thank you and thank you for having me. Awesome. Wow. Congratulations. I had no clue it was your anniversary of, of, your, of your, uh, hanging your shingle. That's fantastic. So, well, let's talk about that though. Let's talk about your story. So, so get us to today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Born and raised here in Lansing, Michigan. When growing up, it was the last place on earth I wanted to live. And then I came to find out, find out I actually really love it here. I went to a small college nobody's ever heard of. Got my bachelor's, took a couple of years off between that and law school to work at a restaurant, which I'm kind of glad I did because I think it really helps with my people skills, dealing with clients, et cetera. Went to law school at Michigan State University College of Law. But I'm always very clear that does not make me a Michigan State alum. It's technically a different institution. Grew up a University of Michigan fan and always will be. Then after that, I was actually supposed to go into the Air Force JAG Corps. That was supposed to be my first job out of law school. 
And then I, in, in going through the application process, a lot of my past medical issues came up and that kind of kept me from getting in. So, you know, from, I stopped applying for jobs, you know, mid spring of my final year in law school. And then mid summer, I realized, oh, well, I need to go find a different job now. So I was a law clerk for a probate judge in Flint, which I had no interest in probate or anything like that. It was just my first job offer. Turned out to be an incredible blessing just being there. My boss was great. She's one of the most genuine, funny, awesome people I've ever known. She then put me in touch with a criminal defense attorney in the area. This is in Flint, Michigan, actually. And because she knew that's what I wanted to do, he was looking for an associate. And so she got me there and uh, worked for this guy for about a year and a half. And he is, I mean, he's an incredible attorney. Tried some of the biggest cases in the state of Michigan, won some, lost some, um, but done a lot of really impressive legal work. But they were a little bit old school in the way they did some things there. And uh, I think probably, probably about nine months into my tenure there, I realized I tried making some changes. There was a whole lot of inertia pushing back against me on that. And I realized I needed to do it, do it my own way if I was going to stay sane. And so after a while, I just, at first I pitched the idea of kind of doing part-time work for him, part-time work on the side. And he said, no, no, no just do your own thing. And so he kind of gave me a little bit of a push uh, and it was exactly what I needed. So that was two years ago today was my first day as a solo uh, practitioner. Dustin, that's an awesome rendition. Thanks so much for sharing that. Tell us what you were doing two years ago today. Freaking out a little bit, playing around with Practice Panther, which is my you know case management software for practice management software. Seeing if anyone had some briefs they need needed written. Uh, and that was about it. Then how did, so tell us about, sort of the, tell us about those first couple of weeks, the first couple of months, how you got things moving. So the funny thing, when I first went solo, I was still in Flint and I was in the same exact office I was in before, except I was now going to pay like $250 in rent, something like that. And I just took scraps from other defense attorneys on the floor and then wrote some briefs some, for some people. I, I have a, bit of a, I think, well-earned reputation as being an outstanding brief writer. So I was able to get some hourly billing in that way enough to, you know, keep our bills paid at home. But I mean, that was about it for the first few months. So um, let's talk, let's talk a, little bit, a little bit about the decision to do your own thing, but a little bit more specifically about, you know, talking to your wife about it. I mean, what was, what were those conversations like? Shout out to my wife. She's just an incredible person, incredible partner. She was really supportive from the get-go when I kind of told her what I was looking to do. And then I also framed it. I, I, I've been fortunate enough prior to going solo to have been uh, underpaid my entire life. And so I, I was used to kind of scraping by and getting the bills paid however possible. And so I just put it to her like, if I can get one misdemeanor per week, we'll be better off than we are now. And so when I put it that way, uh, she's like, well, yeah, that seems pretty doable. So, and she kind of knew that I needed to do this to get what I wanted out of my career and out of life. So yeah, she was on board. Okay. And so 
moving beyond one misdemeanor a week, how have you grown and what's been your target? I've grown. I put a lot of money into digital marketing, uh, digital advertising, I should say. Have a a digital agency that I use. One that if I were to say their name, I'm, they they're the subject a lot of a lot of ire and scorn among our community, I think. But I, they've gotten results for me, and so I've had no issues. I'm sure you know I could do better, but. Yeah, they, they do a good job with my PPC. I've gotten some really, really solid cases out of that. As far as Target, I think I could be doing a lot better in that area. I haven't really identified an avatar of my ideal client or anything like that. I just kind of, you know, if you're charged with a crime and you can pay me, we're good to go. I have had to fire a couple problem clients, but for the most part, you know, Whoever's in my area who's charged with a crime, who can pay the fees, I'll represent them. I've kind of just, I think by accident more than anything, have developed a pretty strong practice area in sex crimes. It's just kind of happened. I don't really know how it's happened, but (laughs) I seem to get a lot of sex crimes. So it's kind of where I've been focusing a lot of my time. So Dustin, one of the things that you've, you've told us you've got some issues with is hiring and you kind of want to focus on that and how to hire well. Let's talk about the makeup of your firm. Tell us who's in your firm now. And then if you, if you want to, you know, how you've sort of gotten to where you are right now when it, when it comes to staffing. Sure. So right now uh, it's obviously me. I'm the only attorney. I use a digital marketing company. Like I talked about already, I use a receptionist service to handle most inbound calls and they they'll schedule appointments with potential clients. And then I have one assistant and it's actually, it's actually my sister and it just kind of worked out because she was looking for work at the same time I needed some help. So I initially brought her on part-time and she just did some basic admin work for me. She has some experience working for courts, so I thought that would be useful. And we also come from from a family of lawyers. My mom and stepdad are both attorneys, which just a little side note, that was that's not what made me want to be an attorney. That's what made me not want to be an attorney. That was kind of a late in college decision to go to law school. But anyway, I made her full-time, I think last October. And then we, about mid-March is when we went full remote because of the pandemic. And since then, by her choice, she's actually gone down to part-time from full-time. And we always kind of talked about that this was a temporary arrangement. I knew this wasn't her burning passion to work as a, you want to call it a secretary, as a secretary in a law firm. She's got other dreams and ambitions. I want her to chase those. And, you know, I want somebody on my team that wants to be there, that that can align with my vision for the firm and our mission and, you know, someone I can help build around. And so when she went down to part-time, I said, okay, well now I need to look for your full-time replacement. And so that's what I'm after right now. Got a job posting all written. I've kind of figured out what my hiring process is going to look like after reading Harvard Business Review and Forbes articles and a whole bunch of stuff. And so I'm ready to post the job probably today, actually. 
Dustin, what's your favorite part about running a law firm or being a lawyer? Like, where do you find your energy? Are you more like the big picture guy? Are you more the implementer? Do you like doing the technical work of the, of the lawyer? What's, where do you really find yourself pulled to each day? I am definitely not the implementer. I'm very much a visionary. And I also, I go back and forth uh, when it comes to the legal work. I think what I'm really getting sick of is I love my clients, but I just, you know, I would love it if my only contact with them is to get them on board. And then when we're at court and maybe, you know, just periodic substantive updates that, you know, probably need to come from a lawyer. I do like trying cases. I like filing motions, but the more I do this, the less I'm enjoying the technical work and the more I'm drawn to the visionary, the big picture work, you know, the, the business stuff. Uh, as Jim likes to say, this isn't my, my question, but I do want to find out, have you taken the Colby test? I have something else I should thank you guys for, for turning me onto that. I'm not a 10 quick start, but I am an eight quick start, Jim. And I think I'm a two follow through and I'm forgetting what my other two ones were, but I think what it comes down to is I get big grand ideas. I get super jazzed about them. And then they just kind of sit on the shelf for a little while. That sounds familiar. Yeah. So you, you need an implementer. You need to, I find do. to be your implementer. I need a COO for sure. All right, well, let's, let's talk about trying to get you to that point. The first question is, and then I've got a follow-up. Do you have a process that you've put together for hiring people? I do. Uh, it, it, and this is, you know, I've crafted this just over the past weekend. And then this week, you know, my first hire was, oh, I forgot to mention, I do actually have a part-time law clerk who works for me, just kind of reviews discovery and stuff. Forgot to mention him, but he's great. Anyway, uh, so my first two hires, when you throw him and then my sister in the mix, it's, you know, her, it was like, hey, my sister needs work. I need work done. I'll take her out to lunch and see if she wants to come work for me for a little bit. And then the other guy, he just kind of blindly reached out to me. I was like, hey, I like that initiative. And I met with him. He seemed cool. So, like, yeah, I got work. I can throw your way. And um, so not, not a very good process at first. So what I've done probably the last week or two is really thought about how I want to bring someone on. I really want to make sure that this is the exact right person for my firm. And so I've made a commitment to myself that if that person does not apply, I need to be okay with not making a hire this go round. But so my process looks like this applications, no cover letters, just like I, I built this all out in Lawmatics too, which is my CRM. So I built a form for them to just kind of put their name, email, phone number, and then like a little text block saying, tell me in three sentences why you should get this job. Because I just like people to get to the point, not waste my time with super, superlatives. And then throw in the resume, I'll weed out probably the bottom 20%. Unless I get, you know, hundreds of applications, then I'll need to be a little more. I don't want to accidentally weed out the right person because they don't have the right resume. And so I, and then I'll do a first interview. It's a phone interview. I created a scripted set of questions that I think test the things I'm looking for, including my firm's core values, which are really, really important for me to build around. And then the people who do well enough on that are actually going to get a homework assignment. And then that'll help me weed out some people. Then there's a second interview, which is going to be 
in person, social distancing style. Not quite sure how we're going to do that just yet, but maybe we'll go for a walk at a park or something. And then from there, I plan to make a hire. Okay. And then my follow-up to that is, have you created an avatar? I, I don't, we actually don't call them avatars in our firm, but I, I think you understand the term avatar. Have you created an avatar for your ideal employee? I think I have an idea of what this person is probably going to look like, not physically, but just, you know, attributes, things like that. People skills are incredibly high on the list because ultimately I want this person getting potential clients in the door and set for consultations, if not even, you know, basically getting them onboarded without even my intervention in the first place. Uh, and then keeping people happy or at least, you know, as, as the least stress as possible as they go through the criminal process, which is no fun for anyone. So, you know, I need someone who can, who can handle people. That's the main thing. And obviously I'm looking for someone who's organized too, but I do plan to outsource a lot of the basic administrative tasks to just, you know, an overseas VA or something like that. So I really want this person to be the voice of the firm. So as a 10 quick start, talking to an eight quick start, I think, what would my wife say if she were here and she's a nine follow through? And she would say, Jim slash Dustin, I see how excited you are about bringing someone into your firm. What are you going to have them do? And have you sat down to make a list of all the things that they're going to do? And have you figured out how you're going to supervise them once you give them that list? And, and I, I'm always like, it's going to be so great to have someone and they'll be doing so much stuff and they'll be the voice of my firm. And then I don't really, I sort of drop the ball and just, they show up and I say, okay, do this. And there's no real rhyme or reason to it. So what could we do to sort of nail down or put a fence around what Dustin's going to be in charge of and what they're going to be in charge of? Sort of like that, that exercise in the e-myth where he's talking about, you know, one partner is going to do these things and another partner is going to do these things and actually doing a whole little list of all the obligations of the firm and just see where, where is this person going to be responsible. So I did actually a couple of weeks ago make out a list, not quite like that, but it was kind of what I have uh, my current assistant doing and then breaking those jobs down into what I want her replacement doing and what I want someone I don't have to pay as much money doing, you know, just the basic sending of pleadings, things like that. So I do have a list, but I also think it's the supervising part that's probably going to be my issue. And, you know, I'm trying to devise some KPIs to supervise with, but it's going to be an issue for me. I know that. Especially when I can't even be in the same building as the person for who knows how many months. Okay, well, what are some things you can do now to prepare yourself to manage that type of employee? Uh, let, let's think it through a little bit. What, 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 what tools, what resources do you need to be able to do that? I mean, first things first, I'm going to have to just get them onboarded, figure out how to do that. And I think through the onboarding, I mean, I can train them in what I'm looking for. So I, I this is actually something before I found out I was... <laughs> going to need to find a new employee. My focus for this quarter was on building and documenting my systems. So I've been making a bunch of Loom videos, putting them on Tetra pages to just train on some of the things we do. 
And I, got, I do have some of the basics, but I need to build out a lot more. I want this person to have, you know, entire library for when they have questions to be able to go to, but also just to even get up to speed. So I think I need to keep building that out while I'm going through the hiring process and hopefully in a few weeks time, not hopefully, but in a few weeks time, uh, I'll have enough for them to at least get started um, with the firm. And I just want to say something really quick, Jim, before you ask your next question, just, just make sure you, whatever you do, it sounds like you're moving forward. Just don't overanalyze this to the point where you don't get work done and where you sure. don't hire someone. Sure. Okay. So just make sure you don't do that. Thanks to our sponsor, Smith AI. Smith AI is a superior receptionist service for law firms trusted by many maximum lawyers, including me. At my immigration practice, the hacking law practice, Smith's friendly U.S.-based receptionists respond to potential clients in English or Spanish, screen and schedule new leads, and even take payment for our consults. The best part is that they don't just handle these conversations by phone. They also have live agents and chatbots capturing leads on our website through their chat widget. They serve as our friendly gatekeepers while my team and I work uninterrupted. We get new clients and we get work done. How awesome is that? If you're in a solo or small firm, I know you'll appreciate this. Plans start at just $70 a month for calls and $100 a month for chats. They even offer a totally free chatbot, so there's no excuse. Try Smith AI today and see for yourself why attorneys like me say Smith AI receptionists are the secret to business growth. Smith AI offers a free trial and maximum lawyer listeners get an extra $100 discount with promo code MAXLAW100. That's M-A-X-L-A-W-1-0-0. Sign up and learn more at www.smith.ai. Trust me when I say, don't let another day go by, try Smith AI. We're talking today with Dustin Kuntz. He's a criminal defense lawyer in Lansing, Michigan. Dustin, I think we sort of skipped over. You were in Flint and then you were in Lansing. How did that transition occur? Why did that occur? And how has, how has that helped your firm? Excellent question. Like I said at the beginning, born and raised in Lansing. And then my wife and I, we had the wise idea to get married the winter break of my first year of law school and her first year of teaching third graders. So we lived in Lansing together for several years while I was going through law school. And then even for the first over a year, I think that I was working in Flint, I was just commuting. It's about an hour drive each way. Then we decided, well, it looks like we're probably going to be, I'm going to be working here long-term. Let's move to Flint. And so that's where I was practicing for a while. That's where I launched my practice. And then we just, (laughs) what really happened is we were on our way to my in-law's house one day and we stopped at Starbucks and got all hopped up on cold brew and got really excited talking about the future. And we were just kind of like, let's move back to Lansing. Let's make it happen. That's where I want to practice law. That's where all our friends are, or all our best friends are. We miss our community we had there. We miss our church. We miss just the social scene here, the the restaurants, the eating. So, you know, in in a cold brew induced frenzy, we just decided we're going to make it happen. And so then she started putting in job applications to schools in the Lansing area. And fortunately, she got a really good job here. And I just, you know, the nice thing about being an entrepreneur is you can up and move whenever you want. So I've, I've done something very similar to that. So I, I understand how that is. And I'm going to hold back my opinions because I want to I ask you, like, how do you think that's been for your career in general? Really good. 
I think it was at first anyway, it was a little bit of a hindrance, a little bit of a step back. Cause I had built a, I think a pretty decent network in Flint. And even though I'm from Lansing, like the Lansing legal network, you know, I had a couple of friends from law school who were involved in the bar here. I knew, you know, a couple other people just through my parents being attorneys in the area, but it was a little bit of a hindrance at first, but I think it's a really good thing now. You know, this, this is my hometown. It's one thing I saw my boss do really well at my last firm. You know, he was a Flint guy. And so he used that in initial consultations to sell people. And just the way I heard him talk about his city with people and just like, that was something they could connect over. I was like that I want that, but I don't have that here, you know? And so, so I think it's in the, now that I'm a couple of years into it, I think it's been a good thing. People are starting to know who I am in the area. Um, I am starting to slowly, as quickly as I'd like slowly build a bit of a network. And um, so in the long run, I think it's going to be a really good thing. And it already is a good thing. Dustin, what would happen if tomorrow somebody pulled up to your office and said, I'm going to take over your marketing and I'm going to deliver you 20 misdemeanor cases a week. <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> Get an associate. Well, I, I'd want to bring that person on for sure. That, that marketing person, because misdemeanors are typically easier money. So yeah, I mean, I have to get an associate and probably have to, one thing I've actually been working towards and this pandemic has helped a lot is minimizing my court appearances by trying to get as many prosecutors and judges on board with me doing a lot of preliminary stuff by email to where, you know, the only time I actually have to show up in court is for a plea or a sentence or something like that, or, you know, something that requires testimony. But, um, I'd have to really beef up those systems and get a lot more people on board because I don't think I can get to court for 20 cases a week. I don't know. I mean, I've see, I see criminal defense attorneys do it all the time. I mean, they, I mean, they're running around from court to court to court. That's the problem in my opinion with the lifestyle of a criminal defense lawyer that just yeah. doesn't fit me. Like I, I, I got sick of that. You know what I mean? Like you, you're always in court and you never get work done. I mean, yeah. You can never get work done because you are, you've got your morning docket, you go back for a little bit, a little bit of work in the office, you have a little bit of lunch, and then you scurry off to another court in the afternoon. It is a, it's just a time suck, completely time suck. So in my opinion, I think you're only, the, the people that do it well, at least around here, are the ones that have associates that go and do the, they run the dockets for them. So I, I, it sounds like if you don't want to be in court that much, which I don't think you do. your next hire may be an associate. I mean, I, I, especially with criminal defense, like like, give me your input on this. A lot of the, you can hire virtual assistants to do a lot of the mundane basic stuff, filing your entry of appearance and even sending your, your discovery requests, all that basic stuff, appointment scheduling, that can be a virtual assistant. Like all the heavy lifting is done by the lawyer. Wouldn't you say? It, It absolutely is. As far as next, well, I think my next hire I do want this, you know, voice of the firm person, but the one after that is absolutely an associate because I, I mean, you're right. Like I don't, I want to be in court when I want to be in court. And, and usually that's for trial or I really geek out about motions to suppress. So anytime we have one of those, I want to be the guy who's in there fighting that out. But 
you know, other than that, like preliminary hearings where I just show up and say, hello, Miss Prosecutor, what's your plea offer? And then they give me the plea offer. And I say, that's terrible. Let's set it for another court date, you know, a week from now and let's take some testimony and see where, see where this thing heads. Yeah, I can have somebody else do that for sure. And I want to have someone else do that too, because I do have big plans for my firm. I have a, a pretty grand vision of what I want to accomplish with it. And I can't do it if I'm in court. All right, Visionary, we're coming up to the end of the call. What, tell us, where do you want to be three years from now? What, what, would, what would success look like for you in May of 2023 on your five-year anniversary of hanging out your shingle? Yeah, three years from now, I want to have a million-dollar criminal defense and civil rights practice revenue-wise. Obviously, I'm not making all that money. I do want to have a few attorneys on staff. And I want to have a second office open, most likely in the Detroit area because for two reasons. One, just that's where a whole lot of people are. And then two, um, for civil rights cases, it's much better to be on the eastern side of the state than the western side of the state because you get better juries, therefore better settlement offers, and working towards even more offices than that. And I'm really at that point doing only high level work where, you know, maybe I'll try a case here and there, but I'm almost never in court and just kind of working on, it seems kind of trite, just, uh, you hear it all the time, but working on the business, not in it, you know, I think I'm a pretty good technician, but if I want this firm to go where I want it to go, I can't be the technician. Good stuff. All right. We are at that time, so we are going to wrap things up. Before I do, I want to remind everyone to go to the big Facebook group, get involved there. There is a lot of great information being shared. Also, if you don't mind taking just a couple seconds while you're listening to the rest of this episode, you're getting your tip and the hack from us, uh, go and give us a five-star review. We would really, really appreciate it. And also check out this little thing called the Guild uh, that we're doing, and Dustin is in it. We have a lot of great members in the Guild. It's a nice, tight community that we're all just sharing and giving a lot of high level information. So please join us there. Jimmy, what is your hack of the week? I actually have two hacks. So the first hack is to recognize that the coolest maximum lawyers are those who root for struggling football teams like me and Dustin. So we now get to kick Tyson out because his Kansas city Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year. So he is out of the cool maximum lawyers crowd. He's just with the regular maximum lawyers. So that's number one. You got to root for a team like the Jets or the Lions, some team that struggles because it's all about the struggle, as Gary Vee would say, who is New York Jets' biggest fan. You can't go through life just rooting for the Patriots like our friend Ryan McKean. Now, my real hack of the week is the fact that uh, when the coronavirus first hit, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, which is Tim Ferriss, and Tim was interviewing a meditation expert a very spiritual person named Jack Cornfield. Jack Cornfield has a podcast all about mindfulness. And I got one of his books, which is called The Light in the Darkness. And if you're looking for any kind of a way to center yourself, to calm your mind, to get to a place where you're meditating more, it is really an awesome roadmap on how to do that. I know it's a little bit woo-woo for some people, but it's very, very practical. He, he talks about each of these concepts like dealing with sadness or dealing with the loss of something or how to be centered. And then at the end of each chapter, there's a, a mindfulness meditation section. 
the book, I got it on my Kindle. I think it was six bucks. It's great. It's a real, for anybody who wants to sort of get into that mindfulness space and sort of to turn off that monkey brain, it's, it's the best, most practical book that I've come across. Very good stuff. What's the name of it again? A Light in the Darkness. Very good stuff. All right, Dustin, what is your tip or hack for us? I don't know that I've heard it mentioned on the podcast, but if I have, forgive me, but it's the book, The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papazan. And probably starting last fall, I kind of went on a business book, self-improvement book binge. And so I've read a ton of them in the last several months. And that one, and some really great ones, uh, but that one I think was the most life-changing for me and the most practical. And the premise is pretty simple. It's what's the one thing I can do that makes everything else either easier or unnecessary. And, you know, all of us, especially if we're running law firms, we've got a million things to do. But if we want to move the, the firm forward, we can only focus on one thing at a time. And just, just the way it's framed in the book, kind of their how-tos, the, the practicality of it, um, has been really life-changing for me to the point where, you know, I, I seem to always have a lot of irons in the fire. One of those irons this past year was writing a book because at Max LawCon 2019, I stupidly told John Fisher I'd write a book. And, uh, and so it was just kind of sitting there with a few thousand words in it for a few months at a time. And when we went into the new year, I said, no, that's, that's my one thing for this first quarter. I'm going to write a book. And so I wrote a book pretty much between January and March of this year, because that was my one thing. When I didn't have a morning docket, my morning was dedicated to writing, you know, <laughs> clients be damned, prosecutors be damned, employee be damned. Like that was, that was what I focused on because I needed to get it done. So just that book is like I said, life-changing practice changing for me. So I couldn't recommend it any more highly. And the name of that book is Surviving a Criminal Case in Michigan and Picking Up the Pieces Afterward. And you can find it on Amazon. So sure if you can. want to take a look, you can get it on, the, on Amazon. I'll, I'll send an author copy for free. They're a lot cheaper for me to buy than for everyone else. So very cool. people are very interested, cool. just let me know. All right. So my tip of the week is, and I actually don't think I've ever I've given this as a tip, but I've, I've, I do it all the time and I talk about it quite a bit. Jim's seen me carry these things around. So for those of you that are watching, I got, these, are, these are just some of the books that I filled up with my notes. But always have a book or some, something to write your notes down Like because we're always taking in information. If you're listening to this podcast right now, Dustin's given a lot of good nuggets that you can write down in your notes and, and keep track of. And you will reference, I use these as reference guides for me. Like these are from books, podcasts, what have you. There's trial skills in some of these books. All these books are separated by topic. So carry around a notebook. And it, it, I use, I, I like the moleskin books, but then here's a, little, a nice little tip within a tip. If you go on Amazon, you can get cheap versions of moleskin books for like $4. And uh, so that's what I've actually gone to now. I, I used to buy the expensive moleskin books. Now I'd buy the really cheap ones because I just fill them up all the time. So write your stuff down because otherwise you're going to lose this knowledge. You're going to, you're going to keep absorbing all this information and then you just, you'll forget it. So I'll write down like, you know, step-by-step -step things like, okay, do like, so how to write a book kind of a thing, like step one through 10, I'll write that stuff down. And then if I have a question, if I want to re remind myself about something, I'll open up the book and I actually give myself a little glossary so I know where to find everything and it's it's really helpful so that is my tip of the week 
Dustin, thanks for sharing today. Thanks for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. It's been great. Thank you so much, guys. Real honor. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.